Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Two years ago, I had the divine opportunity to go and preach in Uganda and Kenya, all throughout East Africa. And by God's grace, I preached in villages and different huts. And then I had an opportunity to go into somebody's home. And in going in their home, they actually had a TV set. So I got to watch soccer and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, I saw these commercials. Now, when I was growing up, one of the biggest commercials that you always saw for kids was say no to drugs. You remember seeing those commercials? Amen? Amen. And so, you know, that was kind of one of the things they wanted kids to do. That was the big thing. Don't do drugs. The commercial that was being used and run when I was in East Africa, the one that I saw the most was wash your hands. You see, one of the things that I did not realize and did not know is that globally, only one in five people wash their hands. It's actually not a common practice. And part of it is because for many people, washing their hands is something you do as a, um, you do it for like big occasions. But for us, one of the things we don't realize is 200 years ago, washing your hands was not a common thing. It was actually in 1846, a guy named Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. What he did was he was the chief physician in Vienna. And as he was looking over two clinics, he began to notice something. You see, in both clinics, women were giving birth to children. As they gave birth to children, he began to notice that in the first clinic, there were doctors who were in medical school. But in the second clinic, there were midwives. In clinic number one, where the medical school was, it had an 18% death rate for women who were giving birth. But in the school with midwives, the clinic with midwives, a 4% death rate. He began to check everything. He looked at the way that women were giving birth on their side. He looked at the way that they would ring a bell after they gave birth. He looked at everything and he could not conclude, what is it that is causing so many deaths? And after a while, he concluded there can only be one thing. I noticed that the midwives wash their hands after they finish uh, helping give birth. Uh, helping birth happen. As he told this to the doctors at the medical school, they laughed at him and they scoffed him. They said he was a fool. It could not be washing of hands. Then, after two years, because he was a chief physician and they made him do it, after two years, the death rate at the first clinic where the medical students was went from 18% to 1%. Now, we already know women are cleaner than men. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we didn't need, we didn't need the science for that. But, but here's the thing. You see, what we have an advantage of now is, and what he could not communicate then, was 
When someone engages in either going to the bathroom or they sneeze or something, there's something happening that you don't see. See, they thought washing your hands was just for dirt. But because we have these things called microscopes, we see that washing your hands isn't just for dirt. It's for these little things called germs. You see, what germs are are these these little beings that get onto you. And if you don't clean your hands, they end up becoming these contagious things that allow for all types of diseases to go about. And it's because of microscopes that we're able to see into the scientific world. But today, through God's word, we are going to take somewhat of a microscope to see into a spiritual world. We're going to see that the world that we live in is not just one in which we can look around and see what's happening, but if we look into the microscope of the world, we're going to see there are spiritual beings affecting what we do every day. And God is making us aware of this, that we would live with prayer and obedience in a very unique and stringent way. You see, you have to understand, someone told you you have a walk with God, and they were right and they were true. But Let them tell you the other part of the story. You do have a walk with God, but you also have a war with the devil. You see, we are at warfare. We are part of a spiritual battle on a daily basis. We are not only engaging with people and and truth, but there are spiritual beings. And the Bible will show us that there are angels and there's the Holy Spirit who are engaging us and supporting us as we try to do the things of God and enact the plan of God. But, and yet, there are beings, they are fallen angels, and they are coming against the plan and purposes of God. And every time you try to advance God's purposes, you will face resistance. We are in a warfare. And so please allow for me to do some spiritual warfare 101, amen? Uh, As we look at this, we have to understand that there is a demonic world that is active. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 9 in the New King James Version that there was a young man that had a demon. His father was trying to get this demon casted out of him. And he said to Jesus, uh, this, this spirit seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. He tries to have the demons cast out. Rather, the the disciples cast out this demon and Jesus would say, well, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And with demons, they, they, they might move because of a disciple, but they will flee because of Jesus. He says it has to be through my power that transformation happens. So yes, there are moments in the Bible where individuals will have physical outbursts and you'll see that it's a demon that's doing it. The Bible also shows us, though, in Acts chapter 16, there was a young lady with a spirit of divination, meaning she was like a fortune teller, and she was going around, and she saw the apostle Paul there in the book of Acts, and it says in Acts 16, verse 17, she yells out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This young lady openly opposes the things of God, yells and screams at the people of God. Here we see, church, we cannot be oblivious to demonic activity. We must acknowledge that there is a spiritual world in which wants to take us further and further into dark places. You see, what we have to understand is that when we try to live oblivious to the spiritual realm, yes, 
A kid is rebelling. Check their internet history. Figure out what friends they've been around. Yes. What have they been reading? What have they been doing? Yes. Figure that out. But also consider the demonic realm. Consider that there are spiritual beings impacting what that young child may do. Yes, a husband may become violent. He may become enraged. We should consider who he's been hanging around, what he's been watching. Maybe he's been with someone else. We should consider all those things, but also consider the demonic realm. You see, the way that demons operate are in the dark. If you've ever watched a YouTube uh, video, they'll have a person on there and they'll say, watch my video. But what they're doing the whole time is saying, subscribe, subscribe, because every time I have an offering, I want it to come to you. The way that demons operate is when you get your subscription, when you find yourself quietly moving into darker places. And what happens is, is that as you go with, listen, the way that they operate is through secrets and lies. Certainly there have been children maybe who have had curses placed on their lives, but it's through secrets, secrets, lies, and darkness that the demonic world then comes around your sin and they, they move through the agreement of you and their sin. And the only way to break that yoke is the same way you do when you look through your email and you're tired of getting email, you cancel the subscription. In the same way, you have to cancel the assignment of the enemy over your life. Why? If you've been lying, you got to start confessing. If you've been in the dark, you got to start walking in the light. If you've been closed, you need to be open to God. You see, every time you take a step towards darkness, the demons begin to operate and want to influence you. Now, someone in here is saying, well, you know, I've never seen a demon. See, that's the problem. You see, here within the scriptures, um, and let me make a note. There are people who God has uniquely uh, given gifts to to discern the activity of demons. We cannot discount these people. We've got to encourage them to operate in their gifting because they're able to have that microscope and see into that world. But what we have to understand is that the demonic world does not just work in the obvious. It isn't just people foaming at the mouth. It isn't just kids rebelling. What the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter six is this, that we will be able to stand against the devil's schemes. The, the Greek word there is the word methodia. It means methods. It means plans. It means well-constructed evil. And it goes on to say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's, it's not against us. It's not me and you. It's rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. What we have to understand is that in the demonic world and in Satan's world, there is well plan constructed evil. You see, if somebody breaks into your car and they steal something from your car, that's bad. They just stole from you. That's crime. But don't you know there's such thing as organized crime? Where they make plans and they watch people. 
They case houses and they look at who has the most money. They figure out where they can make their moves. You see, when you have organized crime, you've got to understand that they're not just going to come out and say, we're organized crime. We're organizing. Amen. We're over here conspiring to sell drugs. No, they don't do that. And in the same way, organized crime doesn't try to ring the alarm and tell you they're around. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's when an idea becomes popular that you have to be careful. It's when everybody's doing it. It's when it's the modus operandi of the culture and you feel you're just going to be going against your friends and you're going to be ostracized and no one's going to pay attention to you. And sometimes the reason it says an angel of light, it's angel, meaning you may buy into it because it comes in a religious veneer. That seems so wise, but it is demonic at core because it's trying to get your influence. Don't you understand? The demonic realm is not just in the obvious. It's in the quiet. Noted Brooklyn poet and philosopher, Christopher Wallace, (laughs) once said, never let them know your next move. Don't you know? Bad boys move in silence and violence. (laughs) You see, even the notorious one knew. (laughs) That the darkest activity is happening just in that, the dark. That the greatest evil is happening quietly in back rooms. And the greatest hustle happens when you don't even know it's happening. You see, it's when people will be excited about lies. This is the way that the demonic world demonstratively operates in an organized way. Church, if evil is organized, the church must be organized. If evil will come together to oppose God, then we must come together to advance God. If it is organized in warfare, we must be unified in prayer. This is why we are coming together. Uh, I don't know if you all have been participating in our fast. I pray you are. Even if you haven't started off with this, you can join now. Uh, uh, If you go to the Bible app, there's uh, a plan on there called Open Heaven. I pray you get on now. We pray you do it. But we're going to come here on February 4th. And we're going to come, we're going to have a thing called Freedom Night. We're going to pray over one another. It's going to be a banner year for our church. God is going to do awesome things. People will be healed. People are growing. God is doing amazing things in our midst. But we're going to come together and watch God do things. And we have some announcements we're going to make there too. So we pray that you come out on that night. But we're going to come unified in prayer. And we're going to work against the enemy. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 10. If you have your Bible, go there. Because there we're going to look at this, look through this microscope and see the realm at which both angels and demons, both heaven and hell operate in. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1 through 2. 
In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for, for the full three weeks. If we understand what's happening in the text, you, you can go back to last week when we covered Daniel chapter 9. And what we discovered is that Daniel has become aware of what Jeremiah the prophet has said. Jeremiah the prophet is a contemporary of Daniel's. Jeremiah was left there in Jerusalem, but Daniel was taken into captivity over to Babylon. And then as Daniel is advancing in years, he begins to read the scrolls there of Jeremiah. And in reading them, he discovers that God promises that after 70 years, they will be brought back to Jerusalem. Well, Daniel counts the numbers. It's been about 67 years. And so there Daniel begins to plead with God and pray because the Bible said that if you seek him with your whole heart, and he thought to himself, well, there in Jeremiah 29, if we seek him with our whole heart, we've got to start seeking him as a people. So Jeremiah says, start with me. I want to be the first to seek you with my whole heart. I want to see the promises of God in my generation. And so Jeremiah begins to seek him. Time passes, though. King Cyrus now is in play of Persia. And King Cyrus now begins to let some of the Israelites go from Babylon back to Jerusalem. His prayers are being fulfilled. He's seeing his friends and family go back to Jerusalem. God is answering his prayers. But there's only one problem. If you read here, there's something very interesting Daniel did. He said a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. You see, Belteshazzar is his slave name. And the reason why he put that there is because he says, here I am, here, and the people of God are going back to Jerusalem, and I'm still in captivity. I'm sorry, I don't think you understand. I've been praying for God to move and I'm seeing other people be blessed and I'm wondering why am I still in this slave state? I'm sorry, I'm still in the same season I was for years and I'm seeing my friend get out of their season and God, I thank you for blessing them, but have you noticed me? My name is still Belteshazzar. I'm still in my season I'm watching people advance and break through, but I'm still in the still. I'm not seeing the movement I thought I would see. I'm not seeing the transformation I thought. I'm not seeing things happen, but one thing I am seeing is my friends are getting blessed. Thank you. <laughs> Woo. Woo. I knew, I knew, I knew when Keisha got married. I knew God <laughs> just, she is, she is trifling and just... I read my Bible every day, <laughs> right? And some of you tonight are still in the still. You're still in the still. You haven't got out of that, and you've been praying, and you've been fasting. And so that's why he says, y'all got to know my name. My name is still Belteshazzar. 
and something happens because he begins to pray. Look, look what it says there that he, he ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine. So what he is saying, and this is, we talked about this. I don't have time to go into this, but what he's saying is, I'm going to fast in such a way where I take all the luxuries away that I, that I can get into because I want to get God's attention. I want God to see that I'm serious about this thing. I want to see God that I'm mourning because I want to see more in my life. And there, no meat, no wine, none of the things that would be the luxuries of life. No anointing myself. That means he didn't put lotion on because he wanted God to know I'm so ashy for you, God. It's just... Bless this ash, Father. <laughs> Daniel chapter 10. So something, I'm sorry, uh, 10 verses 4 through 9. He sees a vision of God, what we would call a theophany. And then after that, in verses 10 through 12, there's what we would call an angelophany. Now he is uh, encountering an angel. In verse 10, it says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me, trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, he says, I stood up trembling. And now listen to what the angel says. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day. I wonder if you'd say that with me. From the first day. You see, the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. What he is acknowledging is that God was attentive to his prayers the second that he set his affections and humbled his heart before his God. He said, oh, I know this is the 21st day, but did you know I was aware on the first day? The moment that you got serious about me, the moment that you began to discipline yourself amongst me, the moment you began to push yourself away from the things that you knew broke my heart, you know I've been attentive to you from day one. Just because I've been delayed doesn't mean you've been denied. Oh, I'm very aware of your situation. You see, this is, y'all, this is a verse you got to, you know, you know, when you got your Bible and you highlight, even if you have the Bible app, you use one of the colors. Something's got to remind you of this. Because when we're not seeing something, it feels like we're not heard. What do you say? I've heard you. And he says, the reason I'm here is because of your words. It's because you've been praying. It's because you've been fasting. It's because you've been asking, seeking, knocking. It's because of that you got heaven's attention. And so you've got to understand that heaven gets serious about your words when your heart is humbled. Notice what he says here. He says from the first day that your heart to understand and humbled yourself. He didn't say the first time you started fasting. You see, you can fast with everything inside of you, but if you don't have a humble heart, you'll miss the point. Fasting is supposed to be indicative of humility, but it is not the, uh, the, the sign of humility. It is your heart before God. 
He says, when you humbled your heart, we became aware of that. And I came because of your words. In heaven, we began to pay attention to you because of your words. Second Chronicles 16 and 9, pay attention. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says, for the eyes, look at this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Can you imagine that? That God's just scrolling the earth? He's just looking. He's just looking. Oh, I see you. I know that you've been getting up earlier than normal to get time with me. I saw you do that whole three times a day thing. I saw it when you, when you, you messed up and you only did it twice, and then you just kind of like winked up and said, I love you. And I, I paid attention to all that. I was very aware of all that. I know that you tried. And listen, listen, it wasn't your efforts. It was your heart I was watching. It was your humility. I'm, I'm into humility. I'm searching. I'm swiping for humility. I'm looking for humility. I'm, I want some humility. Where's the humility? And when I see a humble heart, I start to pull up. I began to, I began to come around a humble heart. And so this is what we should know. The more you become surrendered to God, the more you get surrounded by God. That God, listen, when you are humbling your heart to God, you've got his attention. And he knows that when he has your attention, he has your affection. And God begins to come strongly around those who seek him with everything inside of you. That, what, what does that mean? You are not alone right now. You have been seeking God's face. You have been diligent in prayer. You're not seeing a move on earth. But just because you're not seeing a move on earth does not mean heaven's not moving. Heaven is moving towards you as you seek his face, as you cry out to him. Well, then all of a sudden, the text just goes wild. Because the angel begins to give him insider information. Stuff you couldn't know. Stuff we don't even see in the rest of the text. I mean, this is, this is wild information. This is what the angel says to Daniel. Well, here's the deal. Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. What? You see, what we have to understand is that when he's talking about the prince of the kingdom of Persia, if you're just reading this, you're like, okay, I guess this is some prince. But all of a sudden he says, withstood me, an angel? Hold up. And then you start thinking, wait a minute, but Michael, one of the chief princes, you're like, Michael, oh, you're talking about Revelation 12, Michael? You're talking about Jude 9, Michael? You're talking about the archangel? Oh, these are angels. Oh, and then you realize the prince of Persia is a demon who oversees a region. So what we have to understand is that angels and demons have territorial jurisdictions. That the prince of Persia is associate with a locale. 
And what we have to understand is that even when you look later in, in verse 20, the angel goes on to say, but now I will return and go fight the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So he's saying, I got into it with the prince of Persia. I called up my boy, Mike, because Mike is be wilding on him. Mike comes, but then I got to go and I got to deal with the prince of Greece because they're trying to get funny over there. And then, and you're just like, what is happening, right? What this tells you now, in, in many ways for us, in the temporal, we say, well, okay, princes. But here's what we have to understand. Persia ruled the world in that day. And if Satan is Satan and demons are demons and they're trying to create influence in this world, why not go focus, concentrate, organize yourself in concentrations of power? Go to the most influential areas. We think, we think only businesses think about influential areas and not evil. And so what we have to understand is that these are what many would call territorial spirits overseeing a region and a place. Now, I want your brain just for a second to be able to elevate just for a moment and think about what is happening in the cosmic realm. Remember that the Bible says that we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers, structures, whole kingdoms. And so what we understand from this text, but also if we look at the book of Revelation, what we understand is that there are spirit beings that embody the spirit of a city. Revelation 18 is talking about Babylon. It says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. Verse 3. You see, Babylon was the place of power. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. You see, like any major cities, Babylon is a test case to understand how cities come into power. To understand the essence of a city, you have to begin with the origins of the city, how it began. Babylon tells us a story. Now, Daniel, the book of Daniel, actually tells us about Babylon and how it comes into being and how it destroyed Jerusalem. But even before that, Babylon became Babylon because of, in Genesis, there was this thing called the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis chapter 11, here's what people did. It said that the people came together and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with a, its top in the sky. And you might've heard this before. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's get some recognition. Let's make sure people see what we can do. 
and we'll do it without God. What we understand is that Babel would be this place and Babylon would be the extension of it. And here in Revelation, Babylon is considered the adulteress, called the whore of Babylon, the harlot of Babylon. You see, Babylon is a picture of a seductive culture, drawing you in, actively engaging in deception and the destruction of God's people. And what Babylon whispers in your ear is, you can be something if you hang with me. I'll make you great. And if you notice the temptation of Jesus, Satan brings Jesus up on top of a tall place and says, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Yes, Babylon operates with power and our natural desire for power. Babylon tells us you can be something, you can be somebody. Every city has high levels of concentrated influence and power and they all, every city start because of deep reasoning. It might be because of a mosque or a church. It might be because of their entertainment sector. But all cities in some ways build honor and pay homage to a God. Something everyone is going after. And so then we have to think about our city. New York City is the undisputed economic and social capital of the world. We boast one of the finest harbors in the world. But before we were called New York, we were called New Amsterdam. And before we were called New Amsterdam, this was just the community of the Lenape tribe. Native American people who they were able to have beaver furs and they began to exchange and trade with the Dutch for those beaver furs. The Lenape would be the first inhabitants of Manhattan, Westchester, New Jersey, and Long Island. This was their land. They began to trade furs with the, with, with the Dutch. The Dutch, many books have shown that the Dutch were so impressed with their peaceful lifestyle because money wasn't what captured their hearts. Early explorers began to see the positive experience with the Lenape tribe. And the Dutch settlement was going well. But eventually, relations broke down. And with these relations, there became a moment. General William Keefe came. He didn't want to operate with the Native Americans anymore. He didn't want to deal with any more trading. So he took all of the Native Americans out, creating bloody and vicious attacks wiping out the Lenape tribe. And so what do we have left? We have names that work like a memorial, but we forgot the story. You see, Manhattan is a Native American name. Massapequa is a Native American name. Canarsie is a Native American name. We still have the names, but we've forgotten the story. The foundation of this city is money and corruption. You see, so when you understand the foundation of a place, you then understand why it operates that way. 
So why should we be surprised by gentrification when colonization has been at its core? It is with that that New York has its own spirit. New York has its own prince. And although we may not know the name of this prince, and although we don't know the name of this spirit, I have an idea of what the prince's name is. You see, the spirit of New York is hustle. It's get by. It's move fast. It's you think you have enough? Look to your right. They have more. It's move. It's go. It's make a name for yourself and get there as fast as you can. And if you have to lie, cheat, steal, beg, borrow, do it because your competitors are going to do it. Move faster. Try harder. And you better be the best because this place is about the best. Hustle. Hustle. Hustle is the prince of New York. We say to ourselves, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of hustle is here. So what should be our concern? Should we go and begin to pray against the spirit of hustle over New York City? I don't believe God is calling us to try to find the demons of New York City. Try to find the spirit of Babylon in New York City. The key is to make sure the spirit of Babylon is not in you. To make sure you are not living by the hustle. That in many ways, the memes and the gifts and the articles and all the neighbors and the coworkers and the, the people who are beside you on the train, that you don't get taken in by her adultery and her seductiveness. Because she draws you in with a glance and then she takes your life. Oh, oh, this hustle, she's good. It starts off with some conversations and then it turns into conversion. Oh, you change. I've seen so many come to the city and change. They came just for a career, but they ended up with a conversion. They change. So many come because they want to be something and then it becomes something else. They change. And it's because there's, everybody's getting better. Am I going fast enough? Am I enough? It's everywhere. And the minute that you get that competitive hustle spirit so indoctrinated inside of you, you will start to cheat because you want to keep up. You will throw aside your sexual ethic because you want to keep up. You'll start saying things that you know are untrue because you want to keep up. You'll look, dress, put yourself out there in a way that you know does not honor God because you want to keep up. It's really the question isn't about how evil is this city. The question is how much is it affecting you? The matrix and the nexuses of the systems of evil and violence and oppression are everywhere. And then you may ask yourself, pastor, I thought we wanted to reach people where they are and help them grow. Don't you want us engaging our neighbors? Don't you want us talking with our friends? Don't you want us hanging out knowing our, there are people who are going to die and 
be separated from God? Don't you want us involved? Don't you want our hands involved with all that's happening in this world? What do you mean? Make sure it's not in you. Yes, engage this world. Yes, engage New York City. Just do one thing. Wash your hands. Yo, yeah. Hang out with your friends. Yeah, chill. Yeah, you can watch that, but just make sure you wash your hands. You see, you've got to understand that someone's influencing someone. Someone's changing someone. And the book of James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But he, just, he doesn't say just do that. Don't, don't just get more intimate, God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash your hands. Keep your heart pure before God. Don't let this city define you. Don't let your friends define you. Jesus defines you. Don't try to keep up. Walk with Jesus. Don't always look for more. He's enough. You don't have to go faster when you walk with Jesus. Walk with the Lord. Because this city will convert you. And you will become something you never thought you'd be. And you can't keep up. But you can walk closer to God tonight. You can walk closer. You can draw near him. Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight, we ask for a closer walk with you. A closer walk with you, God. A closer walk with you. I want to walk closer with you, God. I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would break the strongholds in our life that are keeping us from a closer walk with you, God. I want to be closer, God. And I want to be engaged because I know we're not, I'm, I'm called to be in the world and not of it. I want to be engaged. I want to see lives change, but I don't want my life to change. Holy Spirit, we pray that tonight, would you expose the structures and systems that might be influencing our people? Would you expose the philosophies and ideas that may be drawing our people away? And would you awaken us to our call to change this world by the power of God and not to be changed by the spirit of Babylon? In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Our Jesus, our sweet Jesus, though he was a king, he came to earth and he gave his life, being born in a manger, living in Nazareth and dying on a cross. And he did it for you. And Jesus what he asks that when you give your life to Christ, he just wants you to remember what this is about. Every time we do a membership class, we do open house, there's always somebody who will pull me to the side and say, can you tell me why we do communion? I mean, every week, I mean, I'm used to once a month, but every week, we do it every week because I believe we need to be reminded of the gospel every week. 
We need to know you don't have to walk around with shame. I don't care how much evil you've subscribed to. Tonight, Jesus says, come closer. And you say, oh, well, what did I do for this? You did nothing. That's why we take communion. That's why we got to look at we got to look at this little grape juice and think about blood. That's why we look at this little white thing and we got to begin to think about bodies breaking. We're just using physical images to remind us of an eternal destiny that we have with God. And it's all because of a body that was broken for us. The Bible says every time you eat of the bread, every time you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death. You say, that's my death. That's my blood. That's, that body was broken for me. That's mine. That's why we consume it. It's mine. That's, that's mine. He, Jesus, you're mine. I'm, oof, man, I had a week. I was doing all awesome, but you're mine. You're, you're still mine. I'm, and I'm still yours. And, and you reconnect with God. And so I pray that tonight you do business with Jesus, that you sit and you just thank him. You worship him. You honor him. If we could have the communion come. You're going to come down these aisles. You're going to go out the outer aisles. We pray that you do it in your own time. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you want us to be in this world, but not of it. Thank you for transforming our lives. God, would you send us out into this world? Would you, as it says in Matthew 9, ekbalo, send us, force us out into the world. But don't let the world force us into being someone else. Let us be world changers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come in your own time and then worship with us. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.